On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we're joined by ESPN's Cole Kublik for a fantastic interview. We talked to Cole about what's going on in college football, the best offensive lines in the country, and how he ended up as one of the regulars on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt. Cole's got some great stories you won't want to miss. Before we talk to Cole, we discuss the biggest stories in local college football. OU players are back working out, and we have coronavirus testing results for them. Lincoln Riley is avoiding QB questions. What's new? And we give our predictions for Caleb Williams' commitment this weekend. We wet the beak with the thunder in Nathan's hot dog eating contest. We give our 4th of July winners and losers of the upcoming holiday weekend. And we break down the Eddie Sutton documentary in Keeping It Local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, July 2nd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. What? Wow. How about that? It's amazing how that keeps happening, right? We got a presenting sponsor. What is going on? Thank you to good people at First Fidelity Bank. We appreciate that. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. We've got an awesome interview with Cole Kublik talking college football. He talks about being on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt. We talk about offensive line play. We even dabble with a little bit of XFL. Remember, he was part of that. So is there anything we didn't talk to Cole about? I mean, no. I mean, we, we hit everything in depth. I think that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of an X's and O's football guy. So to me, that was so far, that's my favorite interview that we've done so far. That was great. He really was, he's fantastic. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. Now, before we get to Cole, we're going to talk some local college football. But first, it is a big weekend, Teddy. Are you pumped for the 4th of July? Are you a big 4th of July guy? Dude, this is my holiday. I figured I, I know- it would be. I know people, so there's some Thanksgiving people out there. There's some Christmas people out there. I'm a 4th of July guy. This is it for me. Uh, the pool, the lake, fireworks, a couple of frosty beverages. This is it for me. I am very excited. Now, I'm going out of town for 4th of July, but still very excited. Lots of drinking, clearly. Fireworks, clearly. <laughs> but I can't imagine how much food. I'm going to eat this weekend. I've been eating very clean all week just so I can destroy food. I'm, I'm so excited about it. And the thing about 4th of July, 4th of July is all about food, fireworks, and freedom. And guys, we have the freedom to drink whatever we want. And the only thing you should be drinking this weekend is Will and Wiley hard seltzer from Coop Aleworks. 
whether you're by the pool, at the lake, or just grilling in the backyard, a crisp and refreshing Will and Wiley is the only way to go this 4th of July. It's made in Oklahoma, and it's absolutely delicious. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you, and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. All right, Ted, let's get to the local college football news. Benny Wiley's Instagram, it was popping on Wednesday. Now, it got deleted, and I'm not entirely sure why, but we all (laughs) saw it before it got deleted. We all saw it, Benny. I'm sorry. But OU players are working out. They're running around. Now, they had masks on, so that answers that question we were talking about with Plank last episode. They're sweaty. They look like they're working hard. Teddy, it was the first thing I saw on Wednesday morning, and I cannot tell you how excited I was to see college men exercising. I didn't think that that would get me as excited as it did. No, that I, I, I was the same way. I didn't think that uh, it would be anything. I saw the, like one of the first things I saw was that video, and I was like, ah, okay, all right. Uh, is that looks like it might be more than 10 guys, but I don't care. I, this is awesome. I'm down with it. This is, that's, this is that's not instruction. They're not giving them instruction. It's fine. <laughs> I, I thought it was really cool. Um, the, the, that was my first thought. My second thought was, okay, the heat index today was like 112 degrees. And awesome. I've been out there in those workouts before where you feel like you're going to die. You feel like you're going to pass out. You can feel the heat in the sun pounding down on your face and on your body. I cannot imagine. I can't even think about doing that with a mask. Whether I'm, whether I'm breathing in it. Well, neither could Creed Humphrey because hanging off because of my he face said, I don't like need Creed. it. Dude, <laughs> I don't I'm, need it. I just, I couldn't even think about that. That, that gave me like the most crippling anxiety ever, even thinking about trying to breathe through a mask in one of those workouts. Yeah, see, I saw them lifting with the mask, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. They're inside. And then they were outside doing agility with them on, and I was like, oh, boy, I don't know how that will go. Like, I'm, I'm about to hop on this flight, and I'm a little nervous about the mask. Now, I'm going to wear it the whole time because, you know, mind over matter, baby, let's go. But, yeah, that wouldn't be fun. I, that – I can't imagine that would be fun at all. And speaking of not fun, the coronavirus testing numbers for Oklahoma were released. Now, I was a huge fan of how they did it. I think this was the perfect amount of transparency. They come out and say that 111 players were tested. There were seven positives. There were seven positives before testing. So they have a total of 14 cases for players. Two of those players have recovered, so that means there's 12 active cases. And then of the 72 staff members, there were two positives. So they lay it all out there. They're not going to give names. We know how cautious OU is, and that'll be up to the players to say if they test positive or not. But, Ted, what did you think about the numbers? Because 12 isn't exactly a small number it's not the biggest number we've seen but then again you remember they didn't start till july 1 and you go oh those 12 guys have to miss the next 14 days that that i mean that's the policy yeah um maybe more than those 12 guys i mean who's been around those 12 guys 
Well, and in later you'll hear Cole Kublik talk about it. There's a difference between a positive test and isolation and and distancing, quarantining those guys. So uh, in, in the case of LSU, you had positive tests and then you had people that were in contact with those guys and you had to kind of uh, even expand that a little bit. And that's probably going to be the case with Oklahoma. Um, I mean, I think one thing that this shows is that like Oklahoma was probably – at least that I've heard of, maybe there's others out there, but probably the most cautious of anyone in Power Five with their return to campus and return to play. And they still had, what, over over 10% of their guys test positive. And we saw other teams that came back really early and had a fewer number. Um, now, they didn't know that there was going to be a spike towards the end of uh, middle and end of June, which they're bringing those guys right back in the middle of that. Um, so I think it shows that really there's, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. There's, there's no real way to protect your players from it. I mean, they were supposed to be 14 days of self-isolation before they showed up, which, you know, what we know about this virus is almost impossible to, to dodge it. You know, if you're going out or, you know, coming in contact with anyone or any door anywhere, you're, you're at risk. So, I mean, it's a high number, but you know, I'd rather this amount of guys have it now than to like, I know they're going to be isolated for 14 days. I'd rather them be isolated for 14 days now than 14 days from now. I mean, right. that's, yeah. that's just unfortunately now, the, 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 the realm you're in right now. Now you've got the 12 active cases, right? So that's 12 guys for sure. We don't know. Well, sorry, I said 14. I keep saying that it's my fault. Yeah, I don't know. I think active means that those guys are the ones that are having to quarantine for the 14 days, I would assume. Now, we don't know how many guys have been around those guys and what the total number of maybe guys that are being monitored or isolated, whatever term they want to use. Now, my only hope is that the leadership at Oklahoma listens to this podcast because those 12 guys while they're quarantining, need to be lifting. They need to be working out. There needs to be a weight room. And some people will think I'm a monster for saying this, but they need to be working. You can't, when you're quarantined, and I know I, they didn't mention if they're asymptomatic or if they're, maybe some guys have symptoms, then maybe you reevaluate, right? If guys are feeling really bad. But if these guys are feeling fine, yes, you quarantine them from the rest of the team, but let them work out, set up a weight room wherever they're being quarantined. I know they're saying they're being quarantined somewhere on campus, campus housing, put all the equipment, you know, they have the equipment. And if they didn't think of that beforehand, even though we told them they should do that, <laughs> Teddy, they need to do that. They need to do that. And some people are going to be like, geez, Gabe is crazy. No, I just know when I feel fine, I'm going back in my mind when I was a college football player, if I felt fine and it was early July and I found myself not lifting, I would enter an extreme state of panic. I would be very, very nervous about the upcoming season, Ted. I don't, I mean, some people may, but I don't know that folks realize the amount of anxiety you have leading into training camp because of how brutal it is and 
it doesn't matter how good of shape you're in, you never feel like you're going to be ready. And if you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs in isolation, I bet those guys are going to go crazy. My suggestion would be to give them the Roy Williams uh, weight room because it is so hot and so humid in there. There's not a virus on this planet that can survive. Okay, garage door open or closed? Dude, now, that thing gets closed. The studies show that the higher the humidity, the more difficult it is for the virus to spread. So door closed, baby. Windows oh fogged. Sweat them out. Your mirrors fogged, excuse me. Sweat them yeah. out. Horrible. We're psychos. People are going <laughs> to listen to this and be like, these guys are losing it. Um, another big story in local college football. We saw Lincoln Riley make an appearance on Colin Cowherd's show. And Lincoln Riley's not going to answer questions about the quarterback position. He tried, Cowherd tried to get Lincoln to bite on Spencer Rattler. And Lincoln, like a true professional, just batted it to the side and said, hey, this quarterback position at Oklahoma, it's all about competition. He talked about what Baker had to go through, what Kyler had to go through, what Jalen had to go through. When are people going to realize he is not going to change his approach to the quarterback position? Why would the guy? It would make no sense for him to change the way he's done things. It's worked out pretty damn well. I, I respect Cowherd's effort, but I saw this answer from Lincoln Riley coming a mile away. I don't know that there's anyone in college football more prepared to not answer a question about his quarterbacks than Lincoln Riley. This is the third year in a row that he's been able to, to dodge that. You know, he, it, it, his method is, is great. You know, it's a quarterback competition. He's going to let those guys play it out. We all kind of know the writings on the wall, what's going on there, right? But just go back to, I think this situation is perfect. It's the best example. Go back to... Tua coming in in the championship game for Jalen Hurts, throwing the, the rail down the left sideline and winning the game, okay? Nick Saban could have gone into that post-game post press conference and said, we found our starting quarterback for next year, boys. We're all set. But no, he didn't do that. He didn't answer it then. He didn't answer it in the spring. He didn't answer it, it you know, during training camp, leading into it, SEC media days. He didn't even answer it during the season, whenever the season started. Why? Because he knows, knew all along he has to keep Jalen uh, Hurts on the hook. He needs him there. If he would have called Tua the starter in the spring, Jalen would have been out of there. And what happens? End of the year, Nick Saban, all that effort to never doubt, never, never cast aside Jalen Hurts, comes in and wins the SEC championship game for him. It's the same thing with Lincoln. He can't name Rattler the starter in the spring or in the summer or before training camp because he's got to keep his backup engaged where not only where he's just on campus, where he thinks he's got a shot, he's doing his best every day in practice, competing, uh, fighting, scrapping, going out there and preparing every day like he may, he may be the starter because this is football. It happens. Ask Landry Jones, right? Yeah, I mean – and the same for Rattler, right? Mm -hmm. if, if he names him the starter, what kind of growth are you going to get as a player when you feel comfortable? Right. 
I mean, usually you grow as a player when the guy that you're battling for a position is pushing you. I mean, that's why I'm a firm believer in competition at every position every single year. You, you wipe the slate clean and every spot's open. And we're going to compete. Like, you, you may have been our leading receiver last year. That's great. But that, that was last year, right? So what's wrong with creating that competitive atmosphere each and every year at the most important position in all of football? Like, there, there's nothing wrong with it. People are like, oh, well, he's just delaying the inevitable. Who cares? Mm-hmm. All anyone cares about is the results during the season. Who cares if he doesn't name a starter till a week before the first game, Ted? Here's the other thing, too. You know, these guys, they wear blue jerseys in practice. And whether it's a spring game, whether it's a live drill in training camp, I don't care what's on the line. And I'm not just talking about for quarterbacks. I'm talking about for everyone. You can never recreate a game atmosphere. You just cannot do it. I mean, we've all been in live practices. It's never anywhere close to game speed. Yeah, the energy, the stress, the panic. You just can't do it. So the one thing Lincoln Riley's talked about with with these guys is, you know, they'll be fine. You know, they both know the offense. You know, this isn't a situation where we're worried about them knowing what to do. They're going to know what to do. It's just a matter of experience. Well, the best way to recreate a game atmosphere for a quarterback is a competition because create if you don't that have pressure. Anyone, exactly. If you don't have anyone behind you, right, you throw an interception in blitz period, oh, well, I'll get it next time. But if you feel like every decision you make, every check down that you miss, every protection call that you miss, every turnover that you have honestly has a chance at losing you your position, that creates that stress. It creates that level of, of anxiety whenever you're in the pocket and you're focused whenever you go out there. It's the only way to get close to recreating a game atmosphere for those guys. And, and I'll say it's the best way. Just look at the results. <laughs> what Lincoln Riley's done with his quarterbacks. All right, uh, another thing locally. Kevin Stitt, how about him just dissing Texas this week. It, it was kind of funny for me. Now he's telling Oklahomans to wear a mask so we can watch OU and OSU beat the hell out of what do you say? The shorthorns? Shorthorns. Call them it. the shorthorns. The only thing missing, I, it was fantastic. But whenever he pulled his mask up, if it would have had an up, upside down longhorn on it, it would have been, been the thing ever. Perfect. It would have been perfect. But that was good to see because I've been telling people for months. Do what you got to do to ensure that football season gets played, right? And if that's wearing masks, if it's social distancing, all these things that we've become very annoyed by but are still very important, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to that point, right? We're, we're early July, and July is feeling like it is – about as critical as a month has felt for college football for me in a long, 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 long time. No, I mean, it's, it's, there was a time in about what middle to late May, whenever 
everything looked good, man. We're trending in the right direction. Curves uh, were flattening. Schedules uh, being set. Exactly. We're, we're, you know, the SEC says we're coming back June 1st, and then all the dominoes started to fall behind that. It's like, okay, this thing's starting to look pretty good. And then the damn virus made the comeback. Uh, it's not over yet. It's like an action movie from the, the coronavirus. I, I would say, I don't know who else would be on my Mount Rushmore of assholes, but the coronavirus <laughs> is number one, dude. I am so sick of this thing. I mean, it's uh, here's the thing, Gabe, man. We are, we're knocking on the door by remember Joe C said, we, oh, we've been joking around about this. Yeah. Right. And we, we've been trying to stay as positive. But this weekend, it may be the most critical weekend for college football. With, the, with 4th of July, who knows what some of these players are going to do? Who knows what some of these coaches are going to do? Let's not forget, coaches like to go to the lake and enjoy a beverage or two as well. It's critical. I mean, it is critical. Yeah. I mean, we heard, we heard Joe C. say – I think it was two or three weeks ago. Um, and this is before the, the real uptick in, in cases happened. You know, whenever Toby Rowland was trying to get just a little bit of certainty, a little bit of something out of him, he was still just kind of saying, we don't know. And then he said, if we don't have real answers by the middle of July, then, you know, like we need some type of guidance That's in two weeks, <laughs> some type of leadership, some type of real concrete idea as to what's going to happen this fall. And if we don't have that by the middle of July, then, you know, he didn't say we're not going to play, but it, the writing was kind of on the wall. So we're there, yeah. man. We're, we're knocking on the door. All right. Last big story locally, a big recruit recruiting weekend coming up for Oklahoma and all eyes are on Caleb Williams decision on the 4th of July. Now he won the elite 11 MVP. I'm told that that is still a big deal. Now it's no surprise that he won that MVP. I think. Can I say something about that real quick? Did you see how they picked that or what did Dilfer said? It was 75% junior film and then 25% what they did at the camp. Did I read that correctly? That, I mean, what the hell is that? Why do they I, come then? It's like, wait, hang on a second. Why don't you the, just bring the two guys with the best film and let them have a throw off? The only thing I could think of, and this is the only thing I could think of. I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying this is what they did. But is that to make everyone there feel better about their performance? I'm not sure. When I saw the breakdown, I was like, well, shouldn't it be weighed like 50-50 at least? Like, or right? how about 0-100? Who gives a rip about what you did on your <laughs> junior film? What does that matter? I don't know. I mean, it's like, I mean different, different states, different levels of competition. I mean, imagine a scenario in which Usain Bolt ran a 9-8 to win a, uh, a gold medal, and they said – I know you ran a nine eight. I'm sorry, but this gentleman over here uh, during his junior year ran a nine point six, so he gets the medal. So what we're gonna that? we're gonna cut the medal in half. Actually, <laughs> no, I just I did see that breakdown, and I was I was really confused. But clearly, OU fans very excited for this weekend, and I think the OU coaches are too as well. 
Um, they will be shocked. This is how I'll put it. They will be shocked if Caleb Williams does not commit to Oklahoma on the 4th of July. I, I mean, I'll be shocked. I mean, I, I can't even – this is one of those things that, you know, and I, this is really the first year because there's nothing else going on that I've started to follow recruiting. And, and you're all in, which is so weird. We, I know. We, we were like, we'll never be recruiting guys. And now I'm like, how do I set notifications <laughs> for Caleb Williams' Twitter over 4th of July? Like, how do I do that? I mean, I, and I don't know. There may have been other times before, but I don't know that there's ever been this big of a recruit that has been this locked in that has a decision looming that everyone felt so good about. Like Spencer Rattler said all along that he was coming to OU, right? That, that was no secret. He, he said, I'm going to OU for like three years leading in. But this is, the, this is the first time that there's been a big announcement with a guy that's this highly recruited that everyone is like – I think like the 247 crystal ball, like all 25 people had him coming to Oklahoma. So, I mean, yeah, it would, be, it would be a massive shock. And a massive – I mean, not just a shock, but a huge disappointment because there's a lot riding on it. There will be an OU fan meltdown – <laughs> if he commits somewhere else. And we none of us want to see that. We don't want to see that. Us Oklahomans, we're already traumatized by decisions on the 4th of July enough, okay? Now, we've got a really fun interview with Cole Kublik, and that interview is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools look to reopen in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to the athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. All right, won't keep you waiting any longer. Here's Cole Kublik. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the hardest working men in sports media. You can see him on SEC Network and ESPN. You can hear him on the three-man front on WJOCS in Birmingham, Alabama. He also does a lot for SiriusXM Radio. Cole Kublik is in the house. How are we doing, Cole? Doing great. You didn't tell me I was coming on with the legend today. Not you, but Teddy. I mean, <laughs> no, Gabe, trust me, Gabe is the legend around here for sure. That, man. <laughs> okay, let's both of you just the, the two bald guys are already teaming up on me, and that's I don't like how it, it one works, bit. Gabe. I, you should have known that whenever you hooked up this interview, that that's how it goes. It's like a, I don't know if it's a chemical reaction or what it is, but we just know when there's a couple of bald guys in a room, automatic team members. There you go. Love it. Absolutely. I got people giving me a hard time on Twitter. I, I shared some old pictures of myself with hair, and now everybody's coming at me. Oh, so, Okay, I saw those. Wh- what, was, what was going on there? You were going with, like, the vertical, like, straight vertical, let's spike it all up. <laughs> it was up there. I mean, it was, it was definitely up there. Uh, you know, I, I had my head shaved in high school. 
and that was just kind of the way that I, that, I, that I went with it. And then, of course, you know, college football player, it was shaved most of the time. So I got out of school and lost a little bit of weight and kind of let the hair start growing back. And, you know, I was kind of feeling myself a little bit and it got a little out of control. And, you know, we, we tinkered with it and experimented some and we made some mistakes along the way. <laughs> and, and now we don't have that option anymore. So nobody I'm has, to, at it nobody right has now, to worry man. about it. And not only is it spiked, but we've also got some frosted tips yeah. in there, it looks like. Yeah, Teddy. It I was, like that. It, it, was, it was different colors for sure. And, um, you know, my mom used to do that for me. That's embarrassing. I never admitted that to anybody. But uh, she had the little net, and she'd, you know, pull, she'd weave it through and get it going. It was, it, was, it was, you know, it worked for a minute. It worked for a minute. It was but, nice uh, when you had a canvas to, to play with, right? There you and, go. There you go. Now I regret all those years of high school and college when I actually, yeah, I appreciate that, Gabe. When I, <laughs> I actually could have had something going on and decided not to, and now I don't have the option. So it's all good. My, my wife sees those pictures and she says, I, I, you're, you're better without hair. And I'm like, okay, good. We're, we're good. Just trust me, it ain't coming back. So we're, we're going to be all right. All right, Colt, you, you told me, you know, when we were setting this interview up, you know, you and I have worked together on SiriusXM Radio, and you said that you were taking care of your kids solo. What What is going on? <laughs> because that's normally not the case. Normally, you're doing no. something like all hours of the day. You're one of the hardest working dudes I know. So paint the picture for me because I was confused. <clears throat> so we, we had a baby two months ago. It was our third child. And... During my wife's pregnancy, she was walking with the kids. I was out of town and she rolled her ankle and she just kind of thought she stepped on something funny. It was no big deal. And a week or two later, she rolled it again and then rolled it again. And then she was actually carrying the baby about a week after he was born and she rolled it and almost fell. And I said, that's it. We got to get you in, see somebody. Turns out she had um, some sort of an issue uh, that our doctors, Dr. Norman Waldrop in Birmingham, he's the guy that did the two is tightrope surgery at Andrews. And he said, it's hyperelasticity where basically when your tendons stretch, they don't, they don't come back. And so she had a little bone fragment in there. And so he had to go in, tighten up the ligaments, you know, put some screws in there and, and sort of use some, use some anchors and tighten it up. And so basically reconstructed her ankle. And so we have a two month old, and we have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And oh my God. we just, <laughs> he's, he's like, if you don't have this surgery, it's, this is just going to keep happening. You're going to keep rolling the ankle, and then it's going to get to the point where I can't really repair it. So this one needs to be done now. She actually needs the other one done. But he said, we can put that off and we can wait. So I had a furlough week on my radio station coming up, and we had 4th of July coming up. And obviously, I'm doing my show from home when I am working, and we just said, you know what? If fall gets here, we got football, we can't do it. We, we might as well try to do it now because there's not going to be a better time than now. So she moves to Decatur, Alabama, which is an hour, hour and 15 minutes north of us with the baby in with her in-laws. And I'm here with the three-year-old and five-year-old during the week. And we, my mom comes over during the show and stays, stays with them during the show. And I get them dressed, I get them bathed, I get them fed. I've got, I wish I had it sitting here next to me. I would show you guys the um, literally, and this is not an exaggeration, nine pages of notes that my wife left me before she went and moved in wow. with her parents. She did video consults of the dishwasher, 
the, the washing machine, the, the dryer, um, the coffee maker. Um, and, and it's amazing because I was like, I got this. And then you get to the dishwasher and you're kind of like, maybe I don't got this. Um, and you have to refer back to some of those videos. So yeah, I'm, I'm riding solo during the week. We go up there every weekend. And uh, obviously I had a week off last week, so we were up there most of the week. But it has been, uh, it's been fun. It's been challenging, but it has been flat out exhausting at the same time. Man, I can't even imagine. I have, I have one. I have a five-year-old, <laughs> yeah. just one. Yeah, and I just, I can't even fathom that. That's unbelievable. How you, you hanging in there mentally? We doing, we doing okay? We're, we're good. We're good. Yeah. I mean, here's okay. the thing. I usually get them to bed before eight. And then, as you guys know, there's no sports on right now. So, I mean, I kind of just go to bed not long after them. I'm so damn tired that I'm just <laughs> – I'm like, what am I going to stay up and watch some show on Netflix? I'd rather just go to sleep. Well, so, just I'm go faceplant well, in bed. Well, damn, thank God. Out. Thank God we're doing this interview at 8 at night. <laughs> not tired, are you? No, we're fine. Uh, it's still early in the week, so, so we're good. If it had been tomorrow or Friday, we, we might be having some problems. All right, let, let's get to some of the tough questions. Cole, just what are your overall thoughts right now about where college football is at, uh, especially down in SEC country there in Birmingham? Like, what is your feeling on college football season? Because it, it seems like it's in a precarious position. Yeah, you think about where I am. And I'd, I'd be interested to know if, um, cause you know, obviously you guys both played at Oklahoma and, and your COVID numbers came out today. It, do you guys fall under down there according to Boomer Esiason? I'm not, I'm not really sure if that's uh, if you're inside of that classification, but we are, I am. Um, you look at our footprint, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, all numbers going up. And, and that's, I, I don't care politically what you think about it the whole mask thing we can go back and forth the, the reality is numbers are trending up in all of those states that's a large portion of the sec footprint i think you have to be a little concerned from that standpoint you know i've, I've talked to a lot of people that are involved in this from a college football perspective not necessarily coaches i've talked to coaches as well but uh some people more on the medical side of things and i think the thing that fans don't think about that maybe we don't even think about sometimes is we're only one government shutdown away from us not even really being able to talk about it I mean, we get a shelter in place in one of these states and now what what are we going to do or two or three of these states and so you know not taking it serious is it's it's, it's irresponsible bottom line and not just for because of football but for a lot of reasons um my 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 description on this football season for the last month and a half, two months has just been prepare for different. It's going to be different. Just get ready for different. And I can't tell you what different is or how different it's going to be, but it will be different. Whether it's fans in the stands, whether it's the actual schedule, amount of games on the schedule, if some games get canceled, if some games get moved around. Um, we had Brandon Marcel on my show in Birmingham this week, and I thought he had a brilliant take on how the scheduling just possibly could end up looking. And it was essentially just schedule as you go and get into week three or four. And okay, those two teams can't play. We'll let you know next week who's available and who we're going to go play. And you just kind of get them in where you can fit them in. 
And I kind of feel like that's one thing that has to happen. Uh, I, I think we have to try to get a season in no matter how it looks, how it feels, where it is, what it is, because it's that important to that many people. I, I grow frustrated and tired of the folks that think that this is solely about a bunch of people with beer bellies sitting on their couch Saturday afternoons that just want to be entertained. It's so much deeper than that, so much more important than that, so much more critical than that. And I think you, you lose some context when you say, is it an essential business? Okay, for, for, for us to eat, sleep, breathe, and be sheltered, is it an essential business? Okay, from a very elementary definition, no, it's not. I get it. I understand it. But you want to start talking about how many people are on a single television crew? And how many people work on a single security crew for a, a Power 5 home game? And concessions for a Power 5 home game? Hotel, bar, restaurant? What, what's a hotel staff going to look like if there's no fans in stands? They're not, they're not going to keep a bunch of people on staff for that because nobody's coming. So it, it impacts things in a gigantic way. And I think that's why we do everything possible to try to find a way to get it in. Some of the medical people that I've talked to are very confident that there will be avenues that we can take to find ways to make some of these games happen. Um, I'm not on board with, hey, we're just going to move it out. We'll just, we'll just push it out. Do I think it could be moved back? Sure. But I don't think there's any way that we go 8, 10, 7, 11 weeks, stop, and then come back and try to finish it at the end of February, the beginning of March. That, just, that ain't going to happen. Um, I, I don't know how many, that's a, what have we spent the majority of this pandemic talking about as it relates to college football? It, it, it's basically how much time do we really need to be prepared? When do we have to have them back? How much time do they have to have to be ready for a season? Well, we got to start that again. If that were to happen, if we were to take a month and a half, two months off and then try to go play the championship games in the playoff, that's another month to get ready to play again. And I just don't know if that's realistic. So I think it'll be different. I think we're embarking on the least physical college football season we've ever seen because you didn't have spring ball. And you guys know, like I know, you play on the front seven. The only way to get good at it is to be in pads and do it against people that are trying to make you look bad. We can go out there and go T-board right, T-board left, push the, shoot, push the sled, run through the chutes all day long, and we're not going to be good at what we do. You got to hit. You got to be physical. And my, my thought is – and – I'm not all, but I think the majority of coaches, when they do begin practicing, are going to be absolutely terrified to really cut these guys loose when they get in pads. Because they're going to be sitting there thinking, okay, we didn't go through spring. They haven't been in our weight room with our strength coaches. They're not, their bodies are not built the way that they were a year ago, two years ago, four years ago. So we got to go easy on them. And I'd rather at least know I got these kids to start the season then lose three or four guys who are really important and then have to figure it out and then maybe lose them during the season because I think you have to play this like you're going to have a couple guys that are going to be quarantined at some point anyway. So it's just going to be a very, very different season. I, I, two comments on I think all of that is, is great stuff. The first thing is the difference between the NFL and college football that I don't think a lot of people – I mean, they know, but I don't think that they're they're – thinking about it or talking about it you know if the, the NFL let's say the NFL doesn't play the NFL's in 32 of the biggest cities in the country right those those economies those businesses there is does it hurt absolutely it hurts but 
there's there's a huge huge uh, motor that that spins those economies. College football, Tuscaloosa, Norman, Oklahoma. These are small college towns that their entire structure is built around football, around you know eight home games a year, and that spins everything. And if you lose that, I mean, you're talking about catastrophic. Uh, you know, failures in governments, those local governments and how they get their money off of, of fans coming in. So the ramifications of that in college football are way more serious than they are in the NFL. And the second thing, I think that that point you made about injuries and I always talk about guys being calloused and whether or not, you know, they're, they're calloused for a season of football. That's why you got to have those those physical training camps. Another layer to that is, you know, we've got Oklahoma reported today, and we, we've got guys that have tested positive, so they're missing more time. Yep. So not only are they not in the weight room now, now they've got a 14-day quarantine, so now they've been, they've been in isolation. Now they're in 14 more days of isolation. They're that far behind physically before they show up, and, I mean, it's going to be a season of managing tests, Guys testing positive and managing injuries. I mean, I don't even know like, if you have a, 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 a bout of coronavirus come through your team and you've, you're dealing with injuries because of the situation that you're talking about. I mean, how are you even managed depth wise? Well, well, you mentioned in what Oklahoma most likely, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I know how a lot of other schools are handling this is the guys who tested positive. If, Anybody else that they were around, they're most likely also being quarantined for two weeks and missing workouts and opportunities to train and be around their teammates. Perfect example, that's the LSU number. LSU has not had 30 positive tests. There, there are people in the media, and part of me wants to give a little bit of a pass here. I do and I don't. We've never – sports media has never covered anything like this. So there's no blueprint – there's no last time we talked about this, or I remember when we talked about this before, reported on this before. There are some reporters out there that, that don't necessarily understand the difference between quarantine, isolated, and positive tests. You cannot group all of those together and label a headline with all of them as one. They're not the same. And that's what happened in the case with LSU. Uh, they haven't had anywhere near 30 positive tests, but their article was written as though they did. But it's still the same amount of people that are affected and impacted as far as working out, working out with their team, being in the facility, like you said, Teddy, missing time. So it's, I talked to an assistant coach the other day and he said, he was talking about meetings and he said, we, we might just do zoom meetings for our position groups for the, for the entire year. And I'm thinking, You're, how, what? He said, Cole, what if, what if our backup quarterback test positive? And they've been in the meeting room together and they've been standing, they've been throwing, and they've been standing next to each other at practice, and they've been using the same footballs, and they're in the same workout group. He said, all of a sudden, I said, I mean, it hit me. I said, dude, you're Wildcat for two weeks. He said, Damn Think right. about Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley's the quarterback coach. If he's in there meeting with those guys and – He's out. Yeah. So, it's it, it, that, those are the things, like you brought up, that, that are going to have to be managed that we haven't even really scratched the surface on on how we're going to do that. And the economical part that you brought up, I've gone down that wormhole so many times. How about the non-conference teams that a lot of these schools play? And if the first Six, few weeks, seven, eight $800,000 to their, that's what keep those programs alive. 
that's not their football budget, Teddy. That's their athletic department budget. And if you take that away, a lot of these schools, if they miss one or two of those games, football's gone. Not for the year. It's just gone in general. Well, then if football's gone, we know what happens. Basketball's gone. Track is gone. Volleyball's gone. Soccer's gone. All those coaches, all those athletic trainers, all those equipment managers, all those academic advisors, all those two, they're all gone. All of them. So it is a... It is a nasty, nasty slide that we could be going down if something like that were to take place. Now, Cole, we, we saw this week the Ivy League talking about maybe going conference only or maybe even conference only in the spring. Are you hearing anything from coaches, athletic directors about those conversations at the Power Five level? Not, not that I've spoken to. I don't think spring is possible. I don't think it's real. Uh, go back to what Teddy said about the, the, the callus and, and the acclimation and being prepared and physically what has to go into it. You start talking about a college football player playing two full seasons in one calendar year. I'm not saying it can't be done, but you're going to hear a lot of, of should it be done? Why is it done? I mean, I, I, I want to puke when I see these people crying and complaining about the voluntary workouts, guys. I can't handle it. I just I want to go crawl under a rock. And I, I think the people I, – I hate being you didn't play guy. I do not like being that guy. That, that is it's such a cop-out. It's such an easy thing to counter with. But I just – I think a lot of these people in the media, what they don't understand is 99.999% of college football players want to do one thing. They want to be college football players. And they understand that, yeah, that might be listed as a voluntary workout, but you know what's going to happen if you don't go? The dude behind you is going to pass you. And that means you're not going to play. And that means you're going to be on the bench and maybe not even on the team. So there's an understanding of how it works. It doesn't mean that guys are being forced to do things against their will. And that's how the media portrays it sometimes. And it frustrates the heck out of me. One thing, and, and that's a really good point, Cole, one thing about that pressure that people seem, it's like the coaches pressure these kids to work out. It's really not the coaches that ever, you know, I ever felt pressured by. It was my teammates. It was the peer pressure of not being the guy that didn't show up to something voluntary. Like there was that in you when you played at Auburn and Teddy and I when we played at Oklahoma – that's why those programs are so good because there is that accountability Absolutely. in holding each other to a standard. So it's not just the coaches. I know everyone wants to paint the coaches out as being evil. It's the te- It's your team. We, we went and handed LSU the Joe Moore Award this year, and we've been up there doing it at Oklahoma. And Lloyd Cushenberry told us a story that the first Saturday – after their season ended out in the Fiesta Bowl the previous year, he called everybody up on Friday and he said, hey, tomorrow morning, the O-line's getting together and we're going to start every Saturday morning going through stuff, just as a group. And he said there was one or two guys that didn't show up and they handed it to him pretty good. And after that, nobody missed. And he said about a month in, all the receivers were there, all the quarterbacks were there, all the running backs were there, all the tight ends were there. And then about a month and a half in, all the DBs were there, all the linebackers. They were essentially having another practice on Saturdays in the offseason. And that's what you're talking about. No, no coach was making them do that. 
no coach was, 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 you know, holding something, holding their scholarship over their head saying, go in there and bench press. I mean, it's just, it's not the way that it works. And it's, I, the thing that I don't understand is that that's, that's every other aspect of anyone's professional life. I mean, my, my radio show every day is technically voluntary. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to go. I don't have to show up for that. But it's only going to be two or three days that I don't show up when I'm not going to be asked or allowed to come back. And you're also, also only getting paid for the time that you're on air. That doesn't mean that you just show up and prepare while you're on air. You've got to spend time. The more you spend away from it, the more you're going to get out of it. Absolutely. So it's, you know, I, I that part of it, it, it does frustrate me. But there, there's there's certain people that just kind of don't get it, don't understand it. And I think there's also the, the relationship between programs and the NCAA and what's allowed and not allowed. Like, perfect. I'll, I'll tell you what I would do right now. And I think Brian Kelly's doing something like taking their kids to a hotel or whatever it is. I don't know what the rule is on the athletic dorm right now, but I would go straight middle finger to the NCAA. And I'd say, you're all moving into that dorm. You're all living there. We're going to sanitize it every day. We're going to have food there for you every day. You don't need to go anywhere. You're living right there, and you can walk across the street to lift and practice and watch film, and then you can walk back across the street. It's on you what happens after that. But we have set it up to succeed. And if the NCAA gets mad about how fair it is for students, what, who cares? Send us a letter of allegations for keeping guys in the same dorm room. I, I want to see right. how that goes I, over. Right. I mean, I, I had a conversation today where someone asked me, hey, what if you were a coach, what would you tell your kids – before the 4th of July weekend? Like, what, what would your speech be? And my answer was, oh, there'd be no speech. We'd be working out on Friday. We'd be working out on Saturday. They wouldn't be going anywhere. Like, yeah. that, that's what my – that's immediately where my head went. I was like, you, you can just eliminate that risk, right? It's funny, Gabe, because I've, I've talked about this, this this past week, and I don't know what made me start to think about it, but – Obviously, we all had this conversation. How confident are we? What do we think is going to happen? This is a critical weekend. Huge. This is a massive, massive weekend for college football. And I would say probably a week from Monday, we, our opinions will have changed one way or the other of how realistic this college football season looks because there's a chance that it's going to be really bad and there's going to be another 15 or 20 guys on every team that come back positive or if it levels out and we don't hear anything after what that weekend could have been, then I think we're in pretty good shape and we can really start to build some confidence. I think one of the things that, you know, talking about the workouts and everything and there's an environment already before any of this ever came here, there's an environment already out there about exploiting college football players and you know there's this billion dollar business and they're not getting cut in so that was already there before we showed up now and now you know if you're talking about playing two seasons in one calendar year uh so unfair for the players and and all that stuff and, and even if you don't if you play this fall the, there's kind of the narrative politically for for these administrations and athletic departments is how how irresponsible is it of you guys to go play a, a college football season 
for money and put these student athletes in harm's way uh, and, and possibly expose them to the virus. So I think, I think politically that's what's kind of held a lot of these athletic departments in check to where they've got to go just to show that they're going above and beyond being so safe. We're doing all of these measures, make sure we're social distancing. And my, my point all along has been, well, yes, that looks great right now. But what, what are you going to do in training camp if someone tests positive and you have to isolate all the people they've been in contact with? That's the entire football team. Like, there has to be a change in mindset between now and training camp in the entire country about how we treat a, a positive test. And I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know if it can happen because how much has our opinion changed on, on all of this in the last – let's just say month. These, these kids practice in what, 40 days? So we're, we're going to have to have a better idea of how different things are handled by the time that that happens. Like you said, Teddy, because I mean, you're, you're going inside drill and, and you run a toss sweep. That's not just the right guard on the, the defensive, that three technique. I mean, those two guys are working up to a linebacker. Linebackers are going over tight ends, tight ends are, scooping up to strong safeties, running backs are cutting back in to defensive linemen, defensive ends, and linebackers. I mean, it's, it's group on group. It's not individual on individual. And, and then each individual, obviously, can then go around to other individuals. So I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. Um, you know, putting guys in harm's way, I think still most of these guys would choose to do it. Uh, the biggest concern that I've heard from coaches – not just in the SEC, but the SEC and other leagues, is how serious these kids take it. I mean, there's a, there's a large mindset with a lot of college coaches that say they were better off at home. And how, I mean, how hard did we bang the drum of the facilities, the medical care, the professionals, the testing, it's all available, it's all right there, when in reality – if you get 19-year-old living with mom and dad during a pandemic, what's he not doing? Probably. He's probably not going out every night and staying out till 2 in the morning and chasing girls around and going to house parties and going to bars. He's just not. But he gets back on campus and in his apartment, and after 8 p.m., those coaches can't – what are they going to do? They go into every apartment? No. So they're on their own, and they have it. they're 19, 20-year-olds that – haven't done those things in three months and a lot of them at a lot of schools have been going and doing it. And that's why you're seeing some problems at some schools, especially the younger guys that not only had they not done it in three months, they haven't done it at all. They haven't been in college at their own place on their own time with a little bit of money and can just run free and do whatever they want. So it's, there, there are a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of pieces of that that are going to be complicated. All right enough of the depressing stuff can we, can we talk about some offensive line Cole please for the love of God you you put uh, now for anyone that doesn't know Cole is kind of an offensive line expert I don't know if there's many people that watch more line film than you Cole you're a voter for the Joe Moore award uh, you're on that group very heavily involved in picking who wins that award who do you have as your best O-lines leading up to this year. I know that you're a big fan of what Bill Bedenboe does with his line here at OU. I saw you had them as your fifth, I believe, yep. best line. Yep, but number five. 
Who do you see as the best whole lines entering this college football season? I think Alabama is number one. And I think there's a large portion of that that's just talent across the board. Um, I think they have four NFL guys. I think they have two that could easily come off the board in the first round. I'm not even going to project Evan Neal because he's going into a sophomore year, but I mean, you're talking about a, a literal comic book type physical specimen at, you know, six, 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 seven, three sixty, and not gooey at all. Like put together well and can move. He might go to right tackle. I don't think he has the feet to go to right tackle. You got Landon Dickerson that's played a ton of football. He'll get drafted. He'll make a roster, not early, but you know, played at Florida State and comes to Alabama, starts all year last year. Um, you know, Deontay Brown's gonna be, I think, one of the probably third, fourth guard off the board, late first, early second round pick. He's a top five guard in college football. I think Alex Leatherwood's the number two tackle behind Panay Sewell. At worst, number three tackle, maybe if you want to put Walker Little there. And, you know, you got a guy in Darian Dalcourt that I've seen a lot of. I saw him at the Under Armour All-American game two years ago, who I think should be able to plug in at center. And then Emil Okior's played a little bit of guard. He can step right in. But it's just it's, – it's talent and it's big physical capability. I mean, they got guys that can move you. Deontay Brown can move you. Evan Neal can move you. Dickerson can move you. They – they have that nasty that we all love, that we all want to see and feel like it's – they play the game the way it should be played. And uh, the fact that they've also all played a ton of football, I think, helps outside of Neil, but he played in every game last year. Uh, and they've recruited well, so they'll have some depth uh, to, to potentially lean on. I think Ohio State's up there. And, you know, the, the teams to me that are, that are towards the top, because I do think – that there are five, six other groups that we could talk about that are close. But Alabama's got Alex Leatherwood. You know, Ohio State's got Wyatt Davis. Tennessee's got Trey Smith. And there's, there's – Oh, this, I know you love Trey Smith. I would adopt Trey Smith today if legally <laughs> someone would allow that to happen. Um, and I'll, throw, I'll put Wyatt Davis there as well. But, you know, Creed, I think Creed's the same way. Uh, I think he and Drake Jackson at Kentucky are the two best centers in the nation – and while they might not be as physically imposing as some of those guys, obviously playing a different position, they, they help put their teams up above some others that are just good groups as well. Like Kentucky's a really good group. Talent across the board, they don't have what Ohio State has. And, and they don't even have, I don't think they have what Tennessee has if you're talking about the first five. You know, Tennessee's got Trey Smith, but they got Brandon Kennedy at center. He started at Alabama. And then he comes, you know, he finished his career at Tennessee, started all last year. He's played a ton of football. He'll be back this year. Wanye Morris is a, was a true freshman tackle last year that really looked good at times, struggled at times. When you put the UAB game on, and Jordan Smith, a kid that's going to be drafted, an elite edge rusher that got kicked out of Florida, you know, he got him out of the game. He, he got him yanked. He got him benched. But he did some things that showed me he, he has the skill set to be a big-time tackle. And if they get Cade Mays eligible – I mean, now you got two NFL guards who transferred from Georgia. So they, if Cade Mays is there, they legit have five SEC starters returning on that group. So I think they, if they stay healthy, they have a chance to be one of the best in college football. But you got Josh Myers back at center at Ohio State. Wyatt Davis is going to be back. They have a, a boatload of talent. And I like Oklahoma's group. You mentioned Bill. I think he's done an excellent job. I think an advantage that Oklahoma has is numbers. You know, you and I talked about it a lot last year, Gabe, that – it was, it was a lot of it – was, it was a chess game a lot of last year. Moving pieces, guys having to fill in, plug in, play Not different places. Not what you want. You're never going to get the continuity. You're never going to get the feel, the rhythm. 
and just that nonverbal chemistry uh, with a group. But they also were able to provide themselves with a lot of guys that understand game physicality and game speed, which I think going into this year is more important than it's ever been. Like Florida is a perfect example. I, I like Florida a lot this year. Their offensive line didn't play great ball last year, but they got five guys that played and played a lot. That's going to be huge this year because that acclimation period of going through spring ball and being around, and you guys know what happens when a true freshman gets there in August. He doesn't even know where individual is. You have to tell him where the linebackers go or where Ten the offensive line goes. He's training camp before he even realized he's playing football. Yeah, now he's like, okay, I can start actually trying to get better at this, and it's a little bit too late. So – uh, you know, these younger kids have more time to get acclimated, and now everyone's going to be behind from that standpoint. So I think, you know, some of the other groups you could talk about, I mentioned Kentucky, I think Wisconsin could be in that mix. They're going to be there every year. I think they're going to be a group that's fun to watch. You know, Panay Sewell's the best offensive lineman in college football, but Oregon just lost too much. I mean, you you lose Shane Lemieux and, and Calvin Throckmorton. And, I mean, they just they, there's too much gone off of a great, great group last year for them to be, I believe, in the discussion with some of those other groups. But – I mean, Panay's going to have – he's going to have Orlando Pace-type hype coming into this season. I mean, he's got Quentin Nelson-type hype, and there's only been a handful of guys that have really been talked about like that, and he deserves it, and that's why he's going to be fun to watch this year. I'd be interested to, to hear what you think about line of scrimmage play in general, you know, both sides of the ball in, in today's game, you know, both in college and in the NFL – you know, it, it, and I don't know that the fans really care at all as long as you have highlights and you have points and the game's entertaining. But, you know, it's been my contention that we've, we've constantly taken more and more practice away, right? The NFL limits more and more on the field. There's less and less padded practice. No more two-a-days. College, no more two-a-days. Very limited on how much contact they can do. In your opinion, do you think that's, that's changed the line of scrimmage play at, at both levels? 100%. And there was a large population of football fans, Teddy, for a long time that just blamed it on spread offenses. And my solution to that was a couple of years ago, say, have you seen Oklahoma play football? Because they're playing legit bully ball right now. And they're knocking people on their asses on a consistent basis. And they're spread out on every single play. Oklahoma's an air raid offense, but they run the ball like. 65, yeah, you, 70% of the You time. might get a Mark Andrews or a Dimitri Flowers in there every now and then, but more times than not, I mean, they're, they're lining up sideline to sideline. You know, they're outside the numbers on both sides of the field, and then they're going to go right at you. So I think people, that was kind of a, a, a lazy excuse for why it happened. For me, a couple of things happened. What you just said is the key cognizant of it all. The only way to be a good offensive lineman, a great offensive lineman, and I think a good defense – now. D linemen a little bit different. They can go out there and work on those pass rush moves and they can do their swim moves and, you know, they can, they can move their hips and they can dip and rip and all that. But in reality, you got to be in pads doing it against people full speed if you want to get good. And there's less opportunity to do that now, just the reality. And uh, the other thing that I think really began to work against it was tempo. And I think a lot of people just say, well, yeah, tempo, blah, 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 but they don't really understand why. When you really break it down and you think about practicing tempo, what is your mindset when a play is concluding? It's to get back to the ball as fast as humanly possible. And thus doing that, you're quitting on the play. So when, when we played, it was finish to the whistle, 
three, four seconds past the whistle, and then we'll regroup and we'll do it again. But I think what, you, just, when you're just going to cut fast, in real quick, the, the other thing that I think is critical, both in practice and in the game, in practice, whenever you're going tempo, the coach never gets a chance to go correct a mistake. Yes, in a game, whenever you're going tempo, there's never a chance. Like There should be a quick review of every play, positive, negative, in your mind, technique-wise, responsibility, before you go to the next play. And I think that's gone as well. It's an excellent point. And it's one that I actually have never thought about. But I, I just – I've been to practices at Auburn and other places in the league that go fast and when they were going a lot faster than they actually are now. And you never heard or saw the emphasis on the offensive line finishing. The emphasis was always on get back to the ball, get back to the ball, get back to the ball, go snap, 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 go, go, go. And they're, they're literally timing how long it takes to get back and snap the football. So I, I think that you inherently take away what you have to be to be great at it by not allowing them to do it enough and then by not allowing them to do it the way that it needs to be done when you're actually performing blocks. So those are the things that, that – and then there is a portion of the spread offense that has become position blocking, sifting, creating space, and it's just – there are some offenses now, not all, some offenses that just don't require movement at the line of scrimmage. I mean, go watch those old Miss offenses under Hugh Freeze. They weren't trying to push anybody around. That's the last thing they cared about doing. They wanted the ball out. They wanted to go fast. And they wanted you to take yourself out of position. And they would find the space when you did it. That's all it was. And, and like it or not, the RPOs played a lot into that also. I mean, Matt, what does it do – what does it do to you're your gonna demeanor? Get Teddy, you're going to get Teddy fired up talking about RPO. Trigger. He he thinks they are a tool of Satan. He, and, and, but he hates them for a different reason. But, Teddy, think about this as an offensive line. I saw this with Alabama a lot last year because Alabama fans were calling him on my show, we can't run a ball. This offensive line sucks. And I'm, and I'm watching them on film. They're blowing people off the ball. Literally, combo blocks two, three yards down the field. And what happens? Blowing people off the ball. Here comes a slant. Whoop, there comes a little crosser. And I'm thinking – If the would, linebacker, would, they're double-teaming in the helmet that would, with it. <laughs> that would crush my soul if my guard and I dominated a defensive lineman and my quarterback had the gall to pull that ball out and throw it. I don't care if he completed and went for 80. It would piss me off thinking, you're asking us to do this and you're doing that. It's just wrong. And so I can – how many times does it take for that to happen for it to affect you mentally as a football player? He's going to throw now? it here. I'm not going to fire off. He's going he's gonna to throw it across the middle. I don't need to come off on that linebacker. I'm not even worried about it. And, and the defensive side of it, you're right, Teddy. It totally – we could have a totally different discussion on that as to mentally and emotionally how it would affect your game. And it, it almost doesn't even allow you to play fundamental football a lot of the times. Now, Colt. I, I just have to ask, you have become Scott Van Pelt's go-to college football guy on SportsCenter, and it's so damn cool, and I'm so damn happy for you. <laughs> just how cool is it? I, I mean, I know this is a cheesy question, but how cool is that, man? It, that's like the pinnacle of sports media. It's awesome. Um, he, you know, I will say this, Stanford Steve is responsible for that. He and I have been buds for a while, and, you know, he he's a former big guy, you know, played tight end, but that was back when Love they put Stanford their hand in Steve. the dirt, and they actually blocked a little bit. Like, he could, 
he back when tight ends actually blocked people is, is when he did it. So he he's a glorified offensive lineman. He's not one of these flex hybrid guys. But they, you know, they they were coming up on the on the playoff and he was asked and he said, I want Kublik. Nobody knows it better than him. And he talks about it a different way. So get him in. And that's how it happened. Literally, it's the only reason. Um, so I, I owe him a lot of credit. And then obviously Scott and I had good chemistry and they had me back a few times. I did the podcast last week, but it's one of those things in life or when you're working in the media that you, you don't truly understand what it is until after the fact, you just, you don't know how many eyeballs are on one thing until you're done with it. And I don't think my phone stopped, especially after the the two play, the two semifinal games. I don't think my phone stopped until about three or four o'clock the next day. And people just, man, that was awesome. Oh, I saw you. Oh, that was cool. That, that was, was all fun. just that me, too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot of it, but that's all good. Those guys are so much fun. They're so great. And I'll say this, too. What a lot of people don't know, the team that they have working with them is fantastic. It's, it's not just those two. They have everybody in there from the producer, from the directors, to stats, graphics, coordinators. Everybody they have in there is fantastic, fun to work with, good people. They try hard. They want to do great. And that's why the show's as good as it is, honestly. The, so we got to see the XFL uh, experiment go on this spring. And, you know, I, I, I may be one of the few. I don't know. But I actually enjoyed watching it. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. There was, some, there was some decent play at times. There was some decent talent out there at times. You know, I, it got cut short, obviously, because of the virus. But from that little window that you saw – did it have a chance? I think so. It, it was working, Teddy. Mm-hmm. It was working. You had 20,000, 30,000 people a game in attendance. You had a, a, a little under 2 million average per game in viewership. And keep in mind, the last four weeks of the season were all going to be on network television. They, they, they weren't going to be on ESPN, ESPN2, and FS1. They were all going to be on ABC and Big Boy Fox. So those numbers had a chance to really go up with the playoff push that was going to happen. I think people were just learning about Jordan Tayamu and a couple other guys in the league that they, that they really liked, you know, Houston had a couple of guys that were really busting out uh, that were becoming superstars and it was fun. I mean, that's the thing. It was, it was fun. It gave us football. It gave us good football, but it added some fun to it. I mean, hearing guys coming off the sideline, getting to know some of those personalities, hearing play calls, hearing back and forth between quarterbacks and coordinators, all of that stuff was fun. The kickoff rule is going to be hijacked. Le- I the, loved it. They're At going first, to I thought it. it was going to be the dumbest thing ever. And then uh, I, I watched too. the opening kick, and I was like. We had our first meetings in New York, Teddy, and they were telling us about it. And then they showed us the junior college footage that they had a couple junior JUCOs in Mississippi do it. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But then they showed it again <laughs> from different angles. And I was like, hold on. This is actually brilliant. It, mm-hmm. We keep kickoffs, which we love. It gives us a better chance for explosive plays, and nobody's crushing each other. It, I mean, it's it's it has to be. It's adopted. an inside zone play. Is all it is. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Now I do I do have a TV question because you do call games, um, you do some of the Thursday night stuff, and you do a great job. Have you guys at ESPN? Have you even received like your assignments, your crew? the games, any of that time. I don't know if you can talk about this stuff or not, but because if I remember correctly, that stuff normally 
has already happened and it's been released and everyone's tweeting about it. And that hasn't happened yet, Cole. Yeah, it would normally it would normally happen after or right around media when all the media days are happening. So we would still be probably two, three weeks out until it would a lot of that stuff would drop. Some of it we would probably be finding out about. Um, but I, I, I think just like in the actual athletic departments, it's a lot of it's on pause right now because there's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown. Um, I think some, some guys know exactly where they're going to be depending on what happens, but then you have, you have to start thinking about travel and, and how you're going to manage that, how you're going to handle that. You have to start thinking about, you know, are we going to be able to have meetings? We're going to be able to go talk to coaches. There's, there's so many unknowns. So I, I don't have an exact answer for where I'll be, where I'll be or what I'll be doing. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any concerns about it if we're playing football, but I understand why, you know, everybody inside that company has to sort of wait and see because we, we don't know. We don't – what if there's two big – two power five conferences playing? And – or what if there's no non-conference games? You know, we, things are going to have to move around. So I, I don't know if it will be as definitive – as it's been in the past, as far as who is where and when certain people are certain places. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's gotta be frustrating for for everyone involved too. Um, (laughs) You know, a lot of times in recruiting, whenever a a team all of a sudden out of nowhere has a, a huge year, it's kind of like, hmm, What's going on here? A team that's never been in the top 25 all of a sudden is in the top five. Something just doesn't add up here. Now, Mac Brown's got a great recruiting history, and he's a very well-known coach. He had a good run there at North Carolina before he went to Texas. I mean, the year that they are putting together recruiting-wise is unbelievable. They just land another – they got two five-star kids, just landed another Five-star DB, they beat, like, Georgia, Ohio State, and A&M for He's, like, the seventh or eighth best player in the country. I mean – They got Dre Bly recruiting him, though, so – That's true. That's a good point. They must not have shown him uh, Dre Bly's tackling uh, film, you know, because (laughs) – But, but, I mean – North Carolina, I mean, it, it's going to take a while for this to translate to on the field, but is there something real happening there? I have always – if you would have asked me before Mac went back there, if you'd have said, give me your top three sleeping giants in college football, I have had North Carolina on that list forever. And I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I, I'm always of the opinion that football should be able to piggyback great basketball. Because when recruits are visiting, what are most of them doing in the winter? Going to basketball games. So yep. if I would have been – if they, if North Carolina would have recruited me when I was in school, which they didn't, you don't think I would have gone to watch Rasheed Wallace and, and Vince Carter and Jerry Stackhouse? Like, I would have said, I don't want to go out. I want to go to the Dean Dome, and I want to watch those guys play hoops. So I've always thought that those two should complement one another. A lot and of it's always there, too. Yeah, it, well, it's and it's always it's, it's always been weird that that it just it, it doesn't seem to work out that way very often, and you know you look at where North Carolina is, it's not they're not that far from Atlanta. You can go recruit the Virginias. You're not that far from the DMV. So even though there's not maybe per capita as much football talent in your state, I think I don't think you have to go very far to find it. The uniforms are obviously 
combination of some of the best in college football. You got your Jordan brand school, and you know that school's going to get extra. I mean, Oklahoma gets good Jordan brand gear. I think it's safe to say North Carolina gets the best Jordan brand gear. And you're Jordan getting it in the, walk in the door someday. You never know. And, I, and you're getting the OG colors to go with it, which is yeah. even better. So I've just always thought it was a sleeping giant. And I think the future of the great college football coach is going to have to be an elite communicator. And I, I, I've, I've talked to multiple coaches about being a coach. And I've said, oh, I could never recruit. I couldn't do it. It would drive me crazy. And I've talked to Jeremy Pruitt about it. And Jeremy Pruitt said, oh, Cole, he's, all, he all, he's just knowing how to talk to him. He's, he's, got, he's, he's got to know how to talk to him. And it's just building relationships. And I'm thinking, but then you see how much success Jeremy's having. And that is it. It's just being genuine and knowing how to develop relationships and have conversations. And Matt can do that. He's a big personality that's genuine. And I don't think – I think these dictatorships in college football are over. Those days are done. If you can't communicate with your players and your team, you're not going to last anymore. With everything that's happened the last four or five months, you got to know how to talk to your team, listen to your team. You better know when to go ask your team about certain things. You better hear your team when things are happening that they might not bring to your desk inside your office behind a closed door. And I think you, you already see it with Dabo and Mac and the guys who had the big personalities and even some that don't like – everybody thought Jeremy was going to lose when he got to Tennessee, and I was like, no, he's not. That guy just put together an elite staff, and he knows how to recruit, and he's genuine. And that's the thing. Like, I think, I think Lincoln's genuine. And I think kids are going to begin to see through that. And kids are going to say, if you're not a real dude, I, I don't, I don't want to come play for a guy that's going to be different when I show up. And I think kids can see through that transparency now. And it's because of the options, everybody gets caught up a little bit with the word power. I, I don't I, – to me, it's not – the conversation is not about how much power college football players have. But what really gives them the power are options. Options present power. And with everything that's happened with the transfer portal, I mean, when we played football, the word transfer was a death sentence. If you said, I'm transferring, we were, I mean, literally it was like, well, we'll see you at a D3 school, maybe trying to make it as a free agent. That was it. Guys didn't show up another place and be what Russell Wilson was or what Cam Newton was or what Jalen Hurts was. That didn't happen. It just, it just didn't. Now, players, know, we got guys going into the same division. I mean, we just had an Alabama receiver go to Mississippi State last week. Cade Mays, Tennessee, from Georgia to Tennessee. I mean, it's that was unheard of 10, 15 years ago. Those options have provided players with a little bit of uh, with a little bit of power. And when you have those options, coaches have to wake up. And it's not just re-recruiting your roster. I think it's having a roster that trusts you, that believes you, that knows you're real. And the coaches that can't can't pass that along to their players. They're, they're going to be gone. They're, they're not going to last anymore because it's not just X's and O's. And you can't go in there and just tell guys my way or the highway, shut up and play, and that's going to be that. It's just that's not going to work anymore. Cole, we, we want you to get some sleep, but <laughs> one last thing. When's the next time you're going to be, you know, 
taking some souls as a member of the Buns of Anarchy on the Peloton. <laughs> I, I rode today and it was bad. Um, it's just with this whole, the, the two kids by myself, it, it's, I haven't had time to devote to it like I did a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm like trending down, but I'm, I'm trying to work my way back up a little bit. I'll be on there tomorrow. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a, a big Buns of Anarchy ride Saturdays when our, usually our big rides are because obviously 4th of July. So I'll be on there tomorrow, probably tomorrow morning, and then uh, probably again Friday morning, and who knows, maybe I'll find a way to sneak one in over the weekend. I guess I'm missing out. Every single person that we have on this podcast is doing the Peloton stuff. It's, it's right. really unfortunate that you guys had Jeff Schwartz on before me. Well, you, we're actually going to run your interview before we run Jeff's. So oh, if good, you want to say good. anything so, bad about oh, yeah, Jeff, you, go ahead. You can, yeah, please do it now. You guys can check the stats as to how bad I kick Jeff Schwartz's ass on the Peloton <laughs> every time we ride. And Jeff's going to say, oh, Cole cheats because he doesn't follow the instructions, which I thought we were riding to win. I thought it was about putting up a score and whoever score was the highest would actually win. It's like nobody plays a triple option team and says, you have to throw the ball 40 times today. Now, find because... me any offensive lineman who's ever played by the rules, right? That just Okay. Let's exist. just calm down linebacker boy. <laughs> For some reason, shorts is right now. And I don't get it. I, I, he's mad at me because I stand up and ride on like a hundred resistance most of the ride. And he's over there telling them, doing what the instructor's doing. I'm like, I got, I got corn and ice cube going in my headphones. I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm just trying to put up a big number, man. I'm competing. I'm just trying to win. I don't care about instructor. Let me win. He is Cole Kublik, and he is fantastic. Go follow him on it. Twitter, at Cole Kublik. Instagram also, at Cole Kublik. He's one of the hardest working men in sports media. Appreciate the time, Cole. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. A lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. Thanks to Cole Kublik for joining us. Man, Ted, that that guy is – he is awesome. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I, I, I love listening to football guys talk. And, you know, even though he's an offensive lineman, I'm not going to hold it against him. I, he's, you he's always say that. Stop saying that. <laughs> you could – dude – Mortal enemies, uh, linebackers and offensive linemen. That's, good, that's that. a good point. That's a good point. You know that. But, you know, fantastic. Obviously, you know, no. Okay, quick question. In the, yeah. Guy you dislike more. A lineman who comes up and just, you know, is playing within the rules, try to get, trying to give you the business, or wide receiver that cracks you. You don't see him coming. You hate the wide receiver that cracks you more, right? Don't care anything about wide receivers. If oh, they, my gosh. Dude, the okay, best keep thing, talking about Cole. No, no, I don't would just I best thought that thing was about wide receivers. If they come and crack you and you turn and see them, dude, you should see those guys completely turn the blinker on and exit stage left. <laughs> like, if you see them and you just right, try and we always called it, Coach Venables called it crack the cracker. So if you see them and they're coming to crack, it would be problematic in 2020. Oh, it is hilarious that they will just bail on that. And they're all big guys going in there when they can't see you. But whenever you spot them, uh, it, it's a little different story. But, no, he was, he was fantastic. Love the breakdown, offensive line, you know, some of the – just the upcoming college football season, just, just good stuff. Yeah, he's, he's one of the best in the business. All right, Ted, let's get to our segments. And it's Thursday, so you know we got to wet the beak just a little bit, just a little dash. and. 
Let's look at a line from betonline.ag. They came out with some win totals for the seeding games in the NBA bubble. So the games that are considered the regular season, right? So the line for Thunder wins is set at four. Now, Ted, remember, they have the Jazz, Nuggets, Lakers, Grizzlies, Wizards, Suns, Heat, Clippers. Now, unfortunately, they don't have the Nets, who may not even have a team in Orlando. But do you like the over or under? Remember, line is four. Give me the over. Give me the over. Love um, it. You know, I, we've talked about this before. Are they going to be able to recreate that chemistry that they had whenever this thing was uh, stopped? That's the one question I have. But if, there, if there's any semblance of that, I take the over and I feel fantastic about it. Um, the Jazz, you know, I, I'm but not too worried. can't wor- smell at distances, dude. We're good. He will, right. His equilibrium will be off. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how guys cover players that they know have had the virus. I mean, there's just like just mentally, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I know he had it at some point. Do I? Ugh, does he still have it? Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be fascinating. But give me the over. I don't know if the Lakers are going to have a team by the time uh, we play either. It looks like uh, maybe uh, Dwight Howard's not going to show up either. I, I don't well, know. Well, they signed J.R. Smith, so they're good. <laughs> they're good. It'll be fine. They may not have – they'll have a team, but they all may show up a little uh, inebriated at some point. I mean, I, if I just – my one wish in the NBA is to recreate again – with LeBron in a championship, the end of that game scenario. The, this, the, this moment? <laughs> <laughs> People have to watch uh, the YouTube version of this to see it. Like, uh, like the blank stare on his face is hilarious. So, uh, no, give me the over. I mean, Clippers, I think, are going to be fantastic. That would be my favorite to win the whole thing right now. Lakers, obviously – uh, really but good too but you man, mentioned that geez. Clippers that's the last game of the quote-unquote regular season they, they may already be, be slotted yep. somewhere and have nothing to game if anybody's going to sit their guys it's going to be the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George I know they've had this long break but they'll give them rest if it makes sense right you know what I mean if I know anything about Kawhi Leonard, he if there's an opportunity to take a night and take a rest, he's going to take it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd take the over. Yeah, I'm with you. And the reason I would take the over is we heard from Shea Gilgis-Alexander on Wednesday, and I loved what he said. First of all, debuting a new hairstyle looks pretty good, in my opinion. And then he said he's been playing basketball pretty much the whole time. All of this has been going on. And he's been healthy through it all, but this is a young guy who is a rising star in this league. And while some guys may have been, you know, taking it easy, Shea Gilgis Alexander has been working, Ted. So I think he could explode in this little mini run for the Thunder. I hope so. And, you know, we have been watching him a lot around here. Um, but I just – I don't know how many NBA fans even know who he is right now, right? And this is an opportunity because everyone's going to be watching the NBA whenever it comes back, right? It's back. Right. Oh, my God, it's, you know, we haven't watched sports in so long. This is an opportunity for him to really shine. Now, 
what does he mean by playing basketball pretty much the whole time? Does Papa shot in your apartment count as playing basketball? Or Remember, he he's by- he's Canadian, so he went home, and I guess up in the Great White North, they've just been balling. How, how's the competition up there, though? Uh, better, I mean, better than it used to be, right? That's true. That's true. No, I shout mean, out to Vince I, Carter. I think this is a, I think this is a really good opportunity for him to shine. Uh, he's young. He's hungry. The fact that he's been using this as, you know, a lot of those guys that have made a ton of money in the league weren't sure that they were coming back and really aren't sure if they want to go play again after it's been shut down. This is a chance for him to make up a ton of ground on those guys. Yeah, and one interesting thing that Billy Donovan mentioned was that all the players are in town. They've been going through workouts. Even Andre Robertson, just saying, never say never. I still don't think it's going to happen, but he could be a useful tool in the playoffs if he has to guard a Kawhi Leonard, a James Harden. I'm, I'm just saying that would be mighty nice to have that at the Thunder's expense. It would, and they'd have some some nice length and nice defenders on the perimeter if he's out there as well, at, at, if he's at full capacity. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one more line for us to wet the beak, Ted. Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. It is a staple of the 4th of July, and it is still going on at an undisclosed location. Now, friend of the show, Mike Golick Jr., is hosting this bad boy. So maybe I can text him and get some inside information. But DraftKings has set a line. Joey the Jaws, Joey Chestnut, is the favorite at minus 1,250, Ted. And guess who else you can bet on? No one else. It's just the field. It's Joey Chestnut or the field. Plus 650. For the field, which one you taking? There is no way in hell I would wait, lay down $1,250 to win $100 on a hot dog eating contest. Give me the field at plus $650. Oh, my gosh. Really? Dude, I, I mean, I know no he's going to win it, but. Uh, yeah, throw 100 on it. Why not? You got to throw 100 on it to have, like, any interest in watching it at all right that's a good point maybe you you hope for a uh you know an injured tooth i, I don't even know like what could go wrong <laughs> injured but, tooth. dude it's like i'm nauseous every time i watch this yeah it is time. it is it is quite the event but it's going to be entertaining with our man Golic jr on the call how many what's the over under on how many he's going to eat like 65 i don't know just a gazillion i would assume He's going for his 13th title in this event. I mean, it's absurd, Ted. Okay, and this is this is pretty bad, but it's still – I mean – I love when sentences start with that. <laughs> say he eats 70 hot dogs, right? He's got to eat – he's got to eat the dog and he's got to eat the bun. Now, they dip the bun in the water and they eat it, but all I can ever think of is what goes in must come out. <laughs> and, dude, can you – 70 hot dogs, Gabe. Why? Okay, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this. If someone said – if someone told me that I could pay money 
to see Joey Chestnut's dump after this event. <laughs> I'm not sure what the price is, but I would pay the damn money. I would because you have just piqued my curiosity, Mr. Layman. That's got to be a dump of epic proportions. Physics, Gabe, is not my strong suit, but one thing I do know is that matter is neither created nor destroyed. Back. So that is – it's – those dogs are not vanishing uh, into thin air once they go down into that gut of his. So, I, I don't know, man. It's disturbing. It's Force disturbing. equals mass times acceleration. <laughs> That's right. And I wonder what that uh, – what's accelerating <laughs> out of Joey Chestnut after that event. All right, Ted. Let's move on to a special edition of Winners and Losers of the Weekend. We are looking at 4th of July version and this special version of winners and losers of the weekend is brought to you by advanced weight loss clinic of sand springs they'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you you've got all kinds of treatments for men and women there they're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results if you're struggling with low libido or low energy advanced weight loss clinic of sand springs can help with that too they also offer Botox and fillers to get on the path to losing weight path, not pass, Gabe, to get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Teddy, nice. Hey, for that. Burn my you. fat. Inject me right now. Please. Let's go. Please. That sounds easier than the Peloton that you're always on. Yeah, True. All right, Ted, who do you have as your special 4th of July edition winner of the weekend? I've got a winner of the upcoming weekend. It's firework stands. If I've learned anything about this coronavirus is it's been really bad. Economically, it's taken a toll on a bunch of different businesses. On other businesses, it has been an absolute boon anything outdoors lake stuff uh bikes i mean anything outdoors people not being able to to go out of town people not being able to to go to bars and restaurants and and take the typical vacation that they usually do i'm telling you this is going to be the most epic fireworks fourth of july maybe ever they're people going to let, let off some steam dough. It's going to be like ammunition. You cannot buy ammunition <laughs> right now anywhere. It's completely gone off the shelves everywhere. It's going to be the same thing for fireworks. That's a great point. And you said it last episode, you're stocked up. You're ready to roll. You got an arsenal. I can't wait. Um, who do you have as your 4th of July special edition loser of the upcoming well, weekend? It's going to be directly tied into that because let me tell you something. Uh, the fireworks are going to be going off at all times of the night throughout the weekend. So those folks who like to get to bed early, um, I've got bad news for you. Across the country, it's going to sound like Fallujah, Iraq out there. It's going to be like mortars. <laughs> I did explosion. not expect a Fallujah um, reference. It's going to be crazy, dude. So I'm just telling you, the, uh, losers, you might as well have put on a, a, a – 
get a cup of coffee going, maybe down a Red Bull, you're going to be up all night. Might as well join in on the festivities. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, those – if you're going to bed early on the 4th of July weekend, like, what are you doing? Like, even if that's your thing, I get I, – I, now I don't want to be too critical, but <laughs> well, you're on, not. cut loose. I mean, that's the thing. You're not going to bed early on yeah. the 4th of July. <laughs> you will be awake. <laughs> but uh, this is a good time for this public service announcement. Make sure your dog is inside. Run away. Freak dogs out. Make sure your dog is inside and that they can't get outside because we hear year after year, dogs running away on the 4th of July. So please make sure you know where your dog's at on the 4th. All right, that's my public service announcement. Now, my winner of the upcoming holiday weekend ted is couples that have the badass backyard with the pool now i know a lot of people go to the lake for the fourth of july but a lot of people stay home right especially hey tough economic times for some people right now maybe you don't want to travel having that badass pool is so key because you don't have to go anywhere that weekend people come to you You don't have to worry about any of the logistics of getting somewhere. Hey, do we feel comfortable hopping in an Uber? We certainly never want to drink and drive. Like, what do we do here? I think people at this point in time, they would rather host than have to worry about the logistics of getting somewhere. Teddy, if only there was someone close to me that had a really nice pool in their backyard and has a bunch of people over all the time and has a reputation of maybe those get-togethers getting a little out of hand. And maybe or maybe not has a large amount of fireworks also uh, in store. Do we know anyone like that? I love you, Gabe. You're calling me a winner. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm not going anywhere, okay? I'm going nowhere. I'm hanging out here. I'm going to be by the pool. I'm going to be having a couple of beverages, not too many, a couple of beverages. There's going to be some fantastic uh, food, play with the kiddos in the pool. It's going to be great. I can't wait. What's the over-under on the Will and Wileys for you, 4th of July, on the day? On What what is it, Saturday? It's Saturday this year. Yeah, Saturday. Well, (laughs) I've got 12. No, I've got 16 in my refrigerator right now. So (laughs) – it's 16. Okay. So 16. Got it. <laughs> got I mean, it. that's the place we start. It's going to be over that number. I'm Dude, those how things much are over, good. I don't know. I know. Those things are good. All right. Now my loser of the upcoming holiday weekend, we all have this buddy, right? And it's called the guy that thinks he's tougher than the sun, which is one of the bolder strategies on planet earth. And we all have this guy, right? In our friend group, we grew up with him somewhere. He just gets unnecessarily sunburnt over the 4th of July weekend. Like you look at him and you're in pain because you know he has to be in so much pain. And then he's already sunburnt. So the next day he's like, no, 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 I don't need sunscreen. I'm already burnt. You're like, no, dude, that's not how it works. You get more burnt. You need to put the damn sunscreen on. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then maybe the first day of the weekend, he was the guy mocking you for putting the sunscreen on. Like, dude, you don't need sunscreen. It's fine. Like, just 
dude, just burn. Just get that base layer. That's the phrase. Just get that base layer. What are you talking about, dude? You are bright red. You look like you need to go to the hospital. I mean, you end up looking like a lobster at the end of the holiday weekend, and it makes everyone uncomfortable. It makes everyone, you're just like, oh, every time you see him, you're in physical pain because of guy that thinks he's too tough to put sunscreen on. He thinks he's tougher than the sun, Ted. So I'm like basically in tears laughing right now because when I was in college, not necessarily did he think he was tougher than the sun. He just didn't care. And (laughs) he thought it was, it, it always ended up being like a funny deal. So this guy was Lance Donnelly. And judging by the last name, you know that he's Irish really white and we would every time we went to the lake he would get burned so the the like the lake trip right before our last training camp our senior year we go down there's a, a bunch of guys went to tin killer and it was so much fun well we, <laughs> we take sunscreen and he allows it of course but we ride he was number 86 so we put 86 on his back in sunscreen Oh no. And dude, I'm telling you, he was as red as this shirt with a white 86 on his back. I think we even wrote Don Lee and Sooners <laughs> on his chest. It was the funniest thing ever, dude. It was hilarious. You don't need sunscreen. <laughs> for, for us, fine. not for him. <laughs> oh gosh. What is wrong with those people? I, I don't understand. Dude, it's, I don't understand those guys. Is the worst feeling ever. It's awful. horrible. Have it you ever had the, the entire vacation? Have you ever had the tops of your feet sunburnt? Have you ever had the top of your head sunburnt, Gabe? No, I'm not bald. No offense, Ted. No offense. <laughs> it's worse. But but the top of the feet is bad. I, I It happened to me one time at Grand Lake. I was riding a jet ski you know, for a long time that day over to Woodard Hollow. Did not apply sunscreen to the tops of my feet. And I've never not put sunscreen on the top of my feet ever again. I do it every time. I've got because a very it was miserable. It's bad. I've 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 done it. It's the last thing you think about. Like if you're just like throwing it on real quick, you don't think about. It. I've got a very strict uh, protocol for applying sunscreen. Fifteen minutes. Okay. I I do a complete coat of the spray down sunscreen. Shirt off inside in the air conditioner for fifteen minutes. So you're not minutes. sweating. So you get it where it's fully dried and applied in a complete total layer for you and. I'm always good to go. If you go out and try and spray it on whenever you're sweating and getting into the pool, it's just, it's a disaster. Yeah. All right, let's move on to everybody's favorite segment, keeping it local where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And this week we are highlighting Eddie, the Eddie Sutton documentary that debuted on ESPN. Now, not to brag, but I had already seen it during dead center film festival no big deal i'm cultured and such Uh, but i was glad that the country got to see it and there's so many things you can take away from it you know how great of a coach he was building the programs at arkansas creighton you know oklahoma what he did for oklahoma state what he did at kentucky but the best thing about that documentary is it's just a good reminder that dude we've all got our problems you know, you, you may not recognize that someone is dealing with stuff, but no matter how happy a person seems, everybody's got their stuff. Everybody. And 
I think people very quickly realized that this was not going to be a fluff documentary when it started with the drunk driving crash right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this, I, I remember when I was watching it, I watched it again on ESPN and I was like, oh yeah, heavy start. So it kind of sets the tone. Then you have Rex Chapman, who I really do think added a lot to it with his honesty and then being able to relate to Coach Sutton with his personal battles with addiction. But the one thing, if as I watched it again, that stood out to me the most was the pain that Sean Sutton experienced throughout this entire thing. And I know a lot of us locally, we, we've been critical of Sean Sutton, right? He's made some bad mistakes, you know, didn't have a great run there at Oklahoma State. But I don't want to get too sentimental, but it, it's just a – it was a really good reminder for me that, you know, we come on here and we try to make people happy. And, and words can be extremely hurtful, whether it's coming from your dad telling you you're not good enough to play for him or you're saying something to somebody on Twitter that disagrees with you about something stupid. I mean, what you say to other people can have significant impacts on them. And I know that there was a lot of dynamics going into Sean Sutton and his relationship with his dad. But just seeing him sit there and say, you know, he wasn't violent, but what he said to me, you could tell the toll that that took on him. And I was glad to see that again because it it reminded me, it was like, be careful what you say to people because now we all feel like we, we can say whatever we want, right? This is the social media age. We all have our platform, but sometimes just take a step back and think about what you say and how that may impact other people. That, that's all I'm saying. And then, of course, the, the plane crash stuff was, I mean, absolutely brutal. The... I mean, just the strength that Eddie Sutton showed going up there and speaking about those individuals was really impressive. I mean, I think that says a lot more about him than his battle with alcohol. But it was just really well done, Ted. I really enjoyed it. And I think it's important that people saw I think a lot of people learned a lot about Eddie Sutton. And mainly that that dude looked sick with a perm. <laughs> I mean, he pulled it off with the perm and the in the suit with the chest out. I mean, see, and I, I knew very very little about Eddie Sutton. All I knew of Eddie Sutton is what I saw from him at Oklahoma State. Didn't know anything about his backstory. I mean, obviously, I've learned since. But whenever I watched Oklahoma State growing up in their basketball teams, I knew nothing about his his prior history. So the vision of him and what he looked like at Oklahoma state is all I remembered. So when I saw that kind of, that personality, I was like, Eddie Sutton had zero personality. Where, who is this guy? Herm, sunglasses, hot tub. Yeah, that was, that was different. So um, it was, it was interesting to learn all of that, but I got to tell you, um, I thought this documentary, at least for me was, more so about Sean Sutton. That is what interested me the most. 
and I, I just it was dude I, that guy went through a lot man dude, I, I mean I was, as a player as a son now as a you know as a I coach father whole thing I can't imagine uh how brutal that must have been for him I mean and I as a father I've got a son and I, I'm. I have to think about this whenever. Whenever I watch that movie, it was just. I was. It just hit me. It's like, your son is always watching you, right? Right. Watching you, and dude, he, his, his dad was the greatest thing ever to him, like it, an idol. Like he worshipped the ground that his dad walked on. His biggest goal in life, like some people want to go get a scholarship others want to win a championship others want to you know do what he wanted to play for his dad he wanted to be a point guard for his dad that's all he cared about and i can't imagine what that must have felt like as a, a high school kid or a teenager to hear your dad say well you'll never be good enough to play for me mm. and not only in the moment like what how crushing that that would hear as it hits your ears from your dad, from your idol, but to go back, lay down in bed, you know, whenever you're typically thinking about the things that you want to accomplish and your goals and yeah, I can't wait till tomorrow. I want to work on this, this, and this, but to go down, lay down in bed and just stew on what your, your dad just told you. And I just, I could not get that image out of my mind and he still went and played for him. And, he carried that burden of the players on the team and the fans of the team. You're only here because of your dad. It's the only reason you're here. He carried that burden. the scapegoat for those yeah. crappy Kentucky teams. Exactly. They, they one were crappy. They were, they're, they're bad. And imagine being in that locker room, right? If you're a locker room and you're the coach's son, no one wants to be your friend. No one wants to invite you out to, to hang out, to go to a party, go out on the night on the town. Yeah, people you're gonna, think you're what probably think you're a narc, right? Yeah, you're gonna go back and tell your dad what we're doing. We don't want you around us. I mean, I just, mm. I, I can't. Um, like, I was just like, the whole. I came away with a a deep respect and appreciation for Sean Sutton. The way Same. I, I don't, rem, I, I remember watching him play, but I don't, I don't remember. Like, I was too young, but watching him practice, watching him coach, watching the just from the few plays that they showed him out on the the field, the the focus and you know how hard that he played and how bad he wanted to be there, and how bad he wanted to win. That that's my kind of guy. Right. 100%. He is my kind of guy. And all I ever knew about him was the the stuff that I heard, the the prescription drug problem. I mean, and and that was my that was my takeaway from Sean Sutton. Are you kidding me? This guy is amazing for basketball. Amazing for basketball. That's the that's what I came away with the you know from. And obviously Eddie, I I thought the redemption story was 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 great at Oklahoma State, and then the way it ended was was horrible to wrap it up. And obviously him waiting to to hear the Hall of Fame oh, call and dude, that was. I, I thought, and I'm with you, I thought that the Sean Sutton stuff was extremely impactful for me. Like, literally, and it, I talk about it all the time, I don't have any kids, but that clip of him talking about his dad saying that 
he'd never be good enough to play for him. At that moment, I turned to my wife and I was like, I will never be that dad ever. Dude, I was like, if I'm ever like that, divorce my ass. Like, don't let me say stuff like that to my non-existent children. So if, if, if I'm at Kentucky and you're not good enough to play for me at Kentucky, I'll quit and go to a junior college. If you want to play for me and that's what you want, let's go do it together. Yeah. And I'll do anything I have to, to make that happen. Dad of the year to the children I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that moment, I thought that would the Sean Sutton stuff was extremely impactful. But the moment when Sean was with Texas Tech, he's going to coach in the Final Four, and they got the call. And who was it? Maybe Scott that walks up to him and said that he didn't get into the Hall of Fame. What was it, 2019? Mm-hmm. The look on Eddie Sutton's face was – I mean, it was just, what, a, a few seconds, right? But just that image of all of the disappointment, disappointment hitting him, overcoming him again, it was, it was such a powerful scene. It was so well done. And I, I'm, I'm a big crier in movies. I always have been, always will be. Not ashamed of it. So I am. And at that moment, just a couple tears coming out. I was like, oh. And it was the second time I had seen it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was really frustrating for me. Um, you know, I don't, it, it's, it's a committee day thing, right? Is how they, is that no one they, knows. That's the thing okay. is the voters don't are, are unidentified. They, no one knows who they are. Okay. I was just Which like, is why it's sketchy as all hell. Now he got in in 2020, but you could see that. How about the year? I mean, the year from 19 to 2020 that like, you know, his in, physical, yeah, I mean, just his he, – He was – Went downhill they, fast, man. And it was like he was only holding on for that moment. Yeah. And obviously, what, a quick six or seven weeks later, right. passed away. But I was like, really? I hope the people that were holding a grudge or whatever was going on, I hope they watched that and are like, was that really worth it? Like, what – I, what were we doing? This guy was too far gone to even be able to stand up and hug his sons that he, you know, that he obviously wanted to share that moment with because they wanted to wait and punish him, I guess. I don't know. It was I, frustrating. I hope those people are absolutely ashamed of themselves. I hope that that weighs on them for the rest, for the rest of their lives. I do. Now, maybe that's a little harsh, but – you saw, we all saw the impact that it had on Eddie Sutton when he didn't get in. Like, we all saw it. Mm-hmm. So, I hope they feel kind of the same way seeing that. Yeah. I do. I do. Maybe that makes me a bad person. I don't know. But I thought the doc was great, Ted. I thought it was really well yeah, done. I did too. All right, Ted. Episode 21 in Woo. the books. Starting to get up there, man. I know. We'll have a new podcast that will drop Monday morning. He's got a great interview with our man Jeff Schwartz talking college football and the NFL. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400, and you can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great 4th of July weekend. 
Please be safe. Please make good decisions. Don't do anything too stupid. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time